Thank you so much. Well, you never will see one of God's young and standing in the soup line. Amen. God's always going to take care of his children. Well, how many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building this morning? I want to ask you to join me, if you will, on page number 599, if you have an old Schofield Bible or the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 5 this morning. And I'd like to read some verses here in just a minute. Then I'll ask you, if you will, to leave your Bibles open and to follow me through this text this morning as we just point out two or three things from these verses today. Thank you for being here. What a good crowd, and I appreciate you being here. I can't help but notice when I'm in the 8.30 service, in the earlier service, when Brother Zach stands up here and says, okay, the announcement is you'll be the 10 o'clock service. And it's almost like he's happy. And then when y'all drag in here and you're going to be the 830 service this week, it's almost like he just wants, almost just wants to quietly pass over that. You'll be the 830 service next week. But regardless of that, regardless of it, I appreciate your patience, your faithfulness during this time. And hopefully the end will come sooner than later. and We can kind of get back uh, to normal and uh, hope so. I know you probably watch the news as I do and they keep talking about, man, it's, this is spiking and this is happening. And the only thing I know to do is trust God, use hand sanitizer, and don't sneeze on anybody. Amen. And uh, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Don't forget our service this afternoon at 530. Boy, I enjoy good music, good singing, and appreciate those who can sing. Amen. I tell everybody, I think I uh, was cut out to be a singer. I just got sewed up wrong. But I appreciate those who are sewed up right. Amen. And a blessing to our church. Appreciate that so much. I'm like a prison singer, always behind a few bars looking for the right keys. <laughs> That's the way I sing, but uh, boy, I appreciate those who can and do sing and are a blessing to us. All right, Matthew chapter 5, if you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. If you think back recently, then you will probably recall that we have been in our Sunday morning services making our way through the opening book of our New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, in a series of sermons that I've entitled, Meeting the King meeting the king. You know, Matthew, the writer of, of this gospel himself, had met the king. On a previous occasion, one day, as he was sitting at the receipt of the customs, going about his business as a tax collector, and Jesus passed by. And on that particular day, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, invited Matthew to follow him. And Matthew did. And as they say, the rest is history. Matthew's life would never, ever be the same. After that day, he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. It then became Matthew's desire, his great desire, for others to meet the king as well. Personally, Matthew wanted his friends to meet the king. That's the reason over in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2 that we read that Matthew threw this great old big supper in his home, just opened up his home, invited all of his friends in. Now, of course, you've got to understand, boy, what a motley crew that crowd must have been because Matthew, being a tax collector, he had been ostracized from his nation. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. He'd been kicked out of the synagogue. He couldn't even go to church because his, his country considered him as a betrayer. He was a Benedict Arnold before there was a Benedict Arnold. So the only people he could have anything to do with would be the publicans and the harlots and the sinners. And But the Bible said that he opened up his home, had a great big meal, 
and he invited all that crowd over, but he had an ulterior motive. His desire was to introduce all of his friends to the king. And the Bible said there that day that many of his friends began to follow Jesus also. But Matthew not only personally wanted his friends to meet the king, but he wanted his nation nationally to meet the king as well. So Matthew, as he began to follow the Lord Jesus, he began to keep an account a record. Or maybe we would say in our terminology today, we would say he kept a journal about the life of the Lord Jesus. The things that he said, Matthew would write down. The things that he did, Matthew would write them down. And then sometime later, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he would take all those records, all those accounts, and he would put together, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a book about the king uh, for his nation to meet the king, and we call that book the Gospel of Matthew. Now, we have made our way, as we have preached through this book, we've made our way all the way up to chapter number 5. And we're in right now, currently, what we would call the address of the king. We've talked about his ancestry in chapter 1, his arrival in chapter 2, his announcer in chapter 3, his adversary in chapter 4, his activity at the end of chapter 4. Now we're all the way up to the address of the king. This is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who have ever, who ever lived. And as we have moved through these opening verses of this chapter, we have discovered that Jesus was talking about character. And of course, character is what we are on the inside. But as we look at our text this morning, Jesus is now moving from the inwardness of our character to the outwardness of our conduct. In other words, what the Lord is saying is, if we find ourselves in verse 3, all the way down through verse number 12, is if that is who we are, then this will be the effect that we will have on those around us. You know, our character will determine our conduct. What you are on the inside will determine what you are and how you act on the outside. You know, sad but true in our nation today, we're constantly trying to deal with the fruit of problems. You know, uh, we have social uh, upheaval and social rioting and, and uh, we have all the gun problems and uh, the drug problems and we try to deal with all that from the surface. We try to deal with the fruit of all that, but ladies and gentlemen, until we get down to the root of all that problem, we'll never be able to correct the fruit of the problem. We're dealing, as I often say, we're nothing more than just rearranging the deck furniture on the Titanic. The real problem is below the line. We got a leak in the tank. We got a hole in the side of the ship, and buddy, if we don't close off the hatches and keep the water out, she's going down for sure. So Jesus moves now from what we are inwardly to what we should be outwardly. If we find ourselves again in verse 3 through verse number 12, then this will be our effect on those around us beginning in verse 13. Now, let me just say this. This is July the 12th. Last Sunday was July the 4th. But can I just this morning say what a patriotic sermon for July the 12th that we're in this morning because I can't think of anything greater that our nation needs than for some of God's people to stand up and to be the salt 
and the light that God has called us to be. That's right. Our nation needs some Christians today, some of God's people, some of the king's kids to stand up, to quit trying to blend in with this world, to stand up, to stand out, and to be the salt and the light that God has called us to be. Now look with me in our text this morning. Look at verse 13. After saying all this about our inward character, he now jumps to our outward conduct and he says this, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its sav his savor, by the way, not savior, but savior. Boy, it's impossible to lose the savior. Amen. But if we've lose our savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, speaking about the salt, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now I said a moment ago this is the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. But one of the things that made Jesus such a great preacher was his use of the illustrations. You know Jesus had a way of just taking every uh, common, everyday, ordinary things and he would take those things and he would relate spiritual truths and eternal truths using those common, everyday, ordinary things. And that is certainly true with our text this morning. Jesus here is talking about salt. All of us in here are familiar with salt. Then he talks about light, and all of us in here are familiar with light. But Jesus takes these two very common things, and he uses them to illustrate the influence, the radiance, the difference that his people should be making upon the culture and the society in which we live. Buddy, there ought to be a difference between God's people and the rest of the world. In fact, if you'll look down at verse number 14 of this chapter, we see a great contrast that is drawn. Jesus said this, verse 14, Ye are the light of the world. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is making a difference, a distinction between his people referred to as ye or you. Boy, aren't you glad to be a child of God? Boy, I'm glad to be in the family of the king this morning. Boy, I, I, I sure hate to be facing these unsettling, turbulent days that we're living in and not be a part of the family of the king. And he says you, so he's talking about his people. And then in verse 14 he talks about the world and he's talking about people that are not a part of his family. I want to say again, there needs to be a difference between God's people and the people of the world. You know, the Bible said that we're like sheep and they are like goats. There ought to be a difference between the sheep and the goat. The Bible said that we're wheat and they're tares. There ought to be a difference between the wheat and the tares. Can I just stop and say that if you and I name the name of Christ and we claim to be a part of the family of God, there ought to be a difference in the way that we talk, and there ought to be a difference in the way that we walk. There ought to be a difference in our lives. Sad but true, one of the things that's happened in these last days is the church has become so worldly, and the world has become so churchy that many times 
the distinctions between the two. They've been marred and they cannot be told. The difference cannot be told. Don't you think it's about high time that God's people started standing up again? Don't you think it's about high time that we started standing out again and stop this blending in that we're trying to do? We think if we're going to reach the world, we've got to be like the world. And yet I want to tell you this morning that the church that is doing the most for the world is the church that is least like the world. And it's time for God's people to be different. Let's quit blending in. Let's start standing up. Amen. Well, look at our text this morning, and I want to mention three things from this text that the Lord Jesus makes clearly evident that his people are to be doing in these last days. First of all, if you look in verse number 13, I think in these last days, Jesus says this, it's our job to shake the salt on a decaying world. To shake the salt on a decaying world world. Now Jesus says when my people are right on the inside, verse 3 through verse 12, this is what they're going to be on the outside, verse number 13. Now let me tell you something, in the time and the days of the Lord Jesus, salt was a very, very important and precious commodity. Salt was very important. In fact, can I tell you this, in, in, in the days of the Lord Jesus, the Greeks actually called salt, they called it Theon. Now, if you listen closely, you'll hear the word theology. Theon, a root word of theology. In other words, what they were saying, theology is the study of God. They were equating salt as being as relevant to their life as God was. In fact, the Romans actually thought, the Romans actually thought that salt was divine. They paid their soldiers in salt. That's where we derive our little saying, worth your weight in salt. Maybe you've said that before or heard that. Salt was very important. In Old Testament times, salt was used like a notary in our day. You know, when two parties reach an agreement, they'll go have that document notarized, making it official. Maybe sometimes if you've got some business to do, you'll have to get something notarized, making it a legal and official document. Well, in Old Testament times, to ratify a covenant, two parties would come together, and instead of getting a notary to put a stamp on a piece of paper, they would eat salt, signifying the ratification of the covenant. Covenant. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, you'll read that sacrifices were salted with salt. In more recent times, did you know that salt led to one of the fiercest battles that was fought in the days of the Civil War? On October the 2nd, 1864, 2,800 Confederate soldiers met 4,500 Union soldiers in a battle known as the Battle of of Saltville, Virginia. And the reason they fought that battle, and hundreds of men lost their lives in that battle, but the reason they fought that battle is because Saltville, Virginia, was the largest supplier of salt to the Confederate Army. So the Union soldiers met there to try to cut off their source, their supply of salt. Hundreds of people lost their lives over something you and I take for granted every day of our life. So Jesus looks at his people and he says, okay now, ye, you are the salt of the earth. Now, what he meant as a compliment to us, salt, is actually an indictment against the world. 
You see, the reason I say that is this. Our world is in the process of decay. You know one of the great words we could use to sum up our society today? Rottening. It is a rotten, a rottening society. Right before our very eyes, we're seeing our nation rot and ruin. Can I have an amen? Right before our very eyes, we're seeing our nation decay. We see decay in our rulers. Our, our governmental elected officials, many of them, are rotten to the core. They're trying to tell us we need to live by the law. Hey, why don't somebody stand up and say, why don't y'all live by the law? Many of them got DUIs. Somebody said there's now three parties in Washington, the Republican Party, the, the Democratic Party, and the Cocktail Party. I mean, they filed for bankruptcy. They've, they're they're in being investigated for fraud. I'm telling you, we see decay in our rulers. We see decay in our recreation. What we used to call abomination in our day is being called recreation. And many things that we used to just give a stern look at we don't, even look, we don't even give it a, a casual glance anymore because we say it's the new norm of our day. We see this decay in religion as pastors and preachers are getting caught up in scandals and embezzlement. And we see many of God's people who live one way at church, a secret life, a double life, and another way out in the world. Hey, I want to tell you, this world that we're living in is in the process of decay. It is in the process of of rottening. So Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. If you're right on the inside, outwardly, I want you to be the salt of the earth. Now I got to tell you something. I'm not sure that I understand all that is implied by that statement. Ye are the salt of the earth. But let me tell you what I do know about salt. First of all, we know that salt decontaminates. In other words, what I mean by that, salt doesn't stop spoilage, but it does slow down the process of spoilage. You've got to remember that during the days of the Lord Jesus, they didn't have refrigeration systems like we got today. They didn't have ice makers. I mean, uh, those guys, Peter and James and John and Andrew, when they went fishing on the Sea of Galilee, when they brought their fish in, they had no way... No way to uh, pack that fish in ice because there was no refrigeration systems. So what they would do then is they would pack that fish in salt. And that salt would slow down the process of decay. It would slow down the process of, of corruption and maybe they could get that fish, bring it through the fish grate gate, sell it in the markets before the fish actually spoiled. And Jesus then looks at you and I and says, okay, though you can't prevent spoilage, by your testimony, by your influence, you and I are supposed to do our best to slow down the process of spoiling or rottening or decay. Can I just remind you that when the church is raptured out, when the Lord Jesus comes, all the salt is going to removed, be removed from this society. And you talk about rottening. You talk about decay. You talk about corruption and spoilage. This world overnight is going to go through a rottening process. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be terrible what's going to happen when the salt is taken out. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't prevent spoilage but we need to stand up and try our best to slow down the process. Amen. I told the early service, that's why I'm going to go to the polls and vote in November. 
Hey, I can't get into Washington. They won't listen to me. I can't call the president up. I can't call the governor or even the mayor. I can't get in to see nobody like that. But I tell you what I can do. I can stand up, stand up for Jesus. I can go to the pole and I can be a salt of the earth and I can cast my vote and I can try to stop and slow or slow down the spoilage that is going on in our society. Listen, don't you think you can't make a difference? Jesus said, you and I, we're the salt. Be salt upon this decaying society. He said, number one, salt decontaminates. What about this? Salt activates. What I mean by that is this, salt activates thirst. There's something about eating something that's salty that activates or increases our thirst. Many of you, I don't know if you did this this morning, maybe some of you did, had a big old slab of country ham before you come. Anybody in here eat country ham before you come to church this morning? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Well, maybe, maybe y'all didn't. But have you ever had a big old salty piece of country ham before? I'm sure you have. And maybe you didn't soak it. We always try to soak it a little bit, get some of the salt off of it before we eat it to try to slow down the heart attack that's coming on. But... Uh, uh, and you eat that old piece of salty country ham, first thing you know, man, you're hunting your big old glass of water. You know why? Boy, that salt creates thirst. You know, Jesus said we are in this society, and this society is in the process of decay, but go out there and be salt. Because Jesus said, I am the living water. If any man uh, drink of me, they'll never, ever thirst again. We ought to go out and be so salty in this society that people that are unsaved, that know not the Lord Jesus, we ought to create within them a thirst. We ought to create within them a, an insatiable desire for the taste, for a drink of the living water, whereby if they'll drink, they'll never, ever thirst again. Salt decontaminates. Salt activates. But what about this? Salt irritates. You ever had a cut on your finger before and maybe you're going to eat a piece of watermelon and you said, pass the salt. I like a little salt on my watermelon. And you got that salt and a cut on your finger and man, it's that... <laughs> You started blowing on it because it started stinging, started burning. Or maybe you've been out working, and boy, in these hot temperatures we've been having recently, and the humidity, step outside the door, sweat's running off of you. Or maybe you've been working in the garden or whatever, and you start sweating, and it runs down and gets in your eyes, and boy, how it irritates and stains your eyes. You know why? Because your, your sweat is made up of salt. You're sweating your salt out. And as it falls down, it irritates, it stings, it, it, it burns. Can I tell you something about this world that we're living in? How many of you have ever heard this statement, rubbing salt in a wound? Have you ever made that statement before? Well, can I tell you that we're living in a world that's just one big old open wound? I mean, we're living in a world that because of its sin, it is just an open infected wound. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 1 verse number 6 says, from the sole of the foot even unto the head, there's no soundness in it, speaking of the, of the nation, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither been bound up, neither uh, uh, mollified with ointment. This world is an open wound and when you and I go out and we live, verse 3 down through verse number 12, we don't mean to, we don't set about to, but what we're doing is we're pouring salt 
in an open wound and it stings and it burns and it irritates. Maybe that's why we, we kind of get an understanding why lost people treat us like they do because they're a wound and we're rubbing salt in the wound. We don't mean to. We don't set about to. We don't wake up in the morning and say, let's see who I can go out and irritate today. But it just happens. Why? Because we're one of the king's kids. Hey, we need to shake salt on a decaying world. That's what we need to be. But then number two, watch this. Not only do we shake salt on a decaying world, but number two, we shine light on a darkened world. Now look again at verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. Now hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. We got to clear up something here. Wait a minute. Because over in John chapter 8 and verse number 12, right in the middle of the verse, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now hold on, hold on. Is Jesus the light of the world? Or are we the light of the world? Well, the answer is yes. Yeah. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus came into this world for the purpose of revealing the Father. The only way you and I could have ever known God is for God to have chosen to reveal Himself to us. And God did that in the skies. The heavens declare the glory of God. God did that in the Scriptures. The, the Word of God reveals God. But God, the greatest way that God revealed Himself to us was in His Son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus came down here to this earth to reveal the Father to us. We would have never known what God the Father was like had it not been for God the Son because He came as a light to reveal God the Father. He came to reveal the Father. He is the light. But now, we also are the light. We don't reveal the light. We reflect the light. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, have you ever had this to happen before? You go out on a, maybe a cold winter night and it's clear, not a cloud anywhere, and you look up, maybe it's a phase of the new moon, so the moon's not shining, and you look up, and I mean, there are the trillions and trillions of stars, and somebody says, boy, those, shar those stars are shining tonight. But can I tell you something? They're not shining. Stars have no ability to shine. All they do is reflect the light of the sun. As our world rotates on its axis, as we go away, as we go away from the sun, it gets dark on this side of our world. But way up yonder in, in, the, in the heavens, those, those stars are still reflecting the light of that sun. So they give us the impression that they're shining when in reality all they're doing is reflecting. You know what Jesus said we're supposed to do in this world? You're supposed to be my reflectors. As I, as I shine, the S-O-N, Son of God shines. He is to shine upon our lives. And we are to reflect the light into a world that is full of spiritual darkness. Amen. Again, what Jesus meant as a compliment to us, you're the light, is an indictment against the world. Because we're living in a dark world. Now, I know, I get it. We are advanced, technologically speaking. I get all that. Man, we're, we're, we're advanced, economically speaking. We're a lot further down the road than we used to be. But can I tell you something? Spiritually speaking, we're still dwelling in the dark ages. I mean, honestly, I don't, I'm not, uh, please don't think I'm elevating myself. Putting, I'm not doing that. 
But I guarantee you, if I got a donkey and put a mask on him, put a mask on the donkey and took him to Haynes Mall and walked him down Haynes Mall with my mask on and his mask on and said, hey, I just want to tell you all something. This is a donkey that Jesus rode into town years ago. I guarantee you I could get a following to follow me and start worshiping that old donkey. You know why this world is so spiritually? Please don't think I'm being mean, but they're spiritually ignorant. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't even figure out how to live with each other down here on the earth. Am I right about that? I mean, we got all these advanced technologies. We can do this and do that, but we can't even get along down here. I mean, we're advanced. Oh, yeah, technologically speaking. Man, we're advanced, electronically speaking, medicinally speaking. Boy, we are advanced. We're living in an advanced age, but spiritually speaking, it's as dark as it's ever been in this old world. And Jesus said, in a dark world, I want you to be my light. I want you to shine the light. Look at verse 15. We shine privately. Look at verse 15. He talks about there shining in the house. You know the greatest place you'll ever shine for Jesus is in the four walls of your house. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? One of the greatest breakdowns in the churches today is that we come to church and live one way at church and we go home and live in a completely different way when we get back at home. We come over here to church and we sing, oh, how much we love Jesus. And we go home and, as I said earlier, we kick the dog when we walk in the door, throw the cat up on the roof and cuss everybody out at home. The greatest place you'll ever shine for Jesus, the greatest place you'll ever reflect the light of the S-O-N Son of God is inside the four walls of your home. 1 Timothy 5, 4 says to learn to show piety, religion, Learn to show devotion first at home. You'll never reach your home, never make an impact for your home as long as you're living one way at church and another way at home. I'm telling you, we need to shine privately inside of our home. Many of you come from homes where spiritual darkness abounds. You've got a lost husband, and he fussed when you left, and he'll fuss when you get home, and it's a spiritually dark place. But can I give you some good news? Shine the light. Shine the light right there in the four walls of your home. Ladies and gentlemen, maybe, 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 Maybe that husband will see that light and be drawn to that light and get saved by the grace of God. Shine privately inside of your home. But then he says, shine publicly. Look again at our text in verse number 14. He says, you're a city that is set on a hill. Now, can I tell you something? That's public shining. I'm not just supposed, supposed to shine when I come over here to church. Can I tell you something? Boy, your light's on bright today. Ooh, you shining good. But I mean, this is, this is good. But really where Jesus said to shine is when you go home and when you go out in the world. Shine the light, the blessed gospel light. The Bible said of those that are, in, that are unsaved that the God of this world had blinded their minds lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. It's our job, it's our job to shine in our neighborhood. Shine on your job. You say, preacher, my job, it's ungodly. It's filthy. Oh, they'll come in tomorrow. They'll drag in and they'll talk about how many drugs they've done and how much liquor that they've consumed and who all they've laid around with. Oh, preacher, it's a wicked job, an environment 
Why don't you shine in that darkness? Amen. I'm talking about public shining, neighborhood, job, school, parties, uh, things that you attend, cookouts, whatever. We don't have to be arrogant. We don't have to be abrasive. But we can shine for Jesus. Ye are the light of the world. Now let me tell you something. When you shine, as you shine, two things are going to happen. First of all, we know light exposes things. I'll tell you, I don't know if you've ever been in, in a church at night, but church is scary at night. I'm telling you, I've, I've come in here early hours of the morning. I remember years ago down at the old property, down on Patterson, I had to go make a tape. We had a, some kind of meeting going on in Raleigh, so I was down at the old church about 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean dark, oh my, dark as a thousand midnights. And there I was in that radio room trying to make a tape, and I heard somebody outside that door walking around. I said, who is it? I did. It was so real. I said, who is it? Boy, churches are scary places at night. First thing I start doing is I'm feeling for the light switch when I walk around. I ain't bumping into no spook in there. You say, preacher, do you really think, oh, brother, just as angels inhabit this place, I think demons are in this place as well. Uh, you can call me crazy if you want to, but I'll be honest with you, I'm, cut, I'm cutting lights on before I'm walking into places when I come to church because light exposes that darkness. It exposes it. Uh, buddy, I'll tell you, thank God for the light. Now, we don't mean to, but as we live for God, and we're in verse 3 down through verse 12, our lights are shining. And we, and we get next to somebody that's in darkness, it makes them feel uncomfortable. It makes them want to get away from. Maybe that explains why at the family reunion, you're sitting over in the corner eating your potato salad by yourself. Maybe that explains why at the Christmas gatherings nobody wants to talk to you much. Maybe that explains why your lost children don't come around much anymore. You know why? You're just shining your light. You don't mean to. That's just what happens when you're a child of God and you're living in verse 3 down through verse 12 and every time they get around you, man, they see how dirty they are. So what do they want to do? They want to get back in that darkness again. I remember years ago, I was coming back from revival meeting. I stopped by McDonald's because I'm not supposed to. And I got me a double cheeseburger on the way home with extra ketchup on it. And I'm coming up the road. I'm having a good time. I bite into that thing and ketchup runs down. Uh, and I don't know my wife's going to see that and get after me because I'm not supposed to eat late at night because I, 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 I'm like a baby. I cry all night long. So I'm coming up the road. I'm trying to get all that stuff off. I turn my little interior light on. It's very dim. I finally think I've done a good job. I walk in, take my coat off. She said, what have you been eating? I got in the light. Boy, it showed up how dark, dirty I was. Light exposes, but what about this? Light enrages. If somebody's asleep, the last thing they want you to do is cut the light on. Am I right? My mother, right at the end of her life, right at the end of her life, she, you know, she... She wasn't thinking clearly right at the end of her life. And one of the things my daddy used to complain to me about is my mama would think it was morning in the middle of the night. So she would get up and grab a flashlight, and while my daddy was trying to sleep, she'd go in and shine that flashlight right in his eyes and say, Dennis, it's time to get up. Daddy said, that used to make me so mad. I'm laying there trying to sleep, and she's shining that light in my face. If you're in darkness, you don't want the light to shine. 
If you're asleep, can I tell you something? That's what's wrong with this world. They're sleeping in their darkness. And when you and I get around them, we're light. We're reflecting that light. Oh, they can't stand it. Makes them mad. It irritates them. It enrages them. Maybe that explains why verse 11 and verse number 12 talks about us being persecuted. Am I right? What do we do? And I'm done. So we shake the salt on a decaying world. We shine the light on a darkened world. But then thirdly, we do this. We share the truth with a dying world. Now, I want you to look at verse 15 because something here is said that we need to get a hold of, and that's this. Why do we do what we do? Why are we salt? Why are we light? Well, we do all that to glorify ourselves. Is that right? No. Let me answer that for you. No, preacher, that's not right. We don't do that so we can call attention to ourselves. It's not about us. So I don't set out to be salt so people say, isn't he salty? I don't set out to shine the light so somebody say, isn't he bright? You know why we do that? We do it that men may look upon our lives, but, look at verse 16, glorify the Father. We want to glorify the Father. We want the Father. It's the Father that's made the difference in our life. It's the Father that's turned me into salt. It's the Father that's made me the light. It's not me. It's nothing in me. It's all what He's done. It's all because of Him. And what we want people to see is, hey, there's a difference in that old boy. There's a difference in that old girl. There must be a Father in heaven that's made that difference. And that Father is something that I need in my heart. And they glorify the Father. That's what we want. We want them to see the difference in our life that Jesus has made so that they might glorify our Father which is in heaven. I'm persuaded to believe that the two greatest days in the life of any believer are these two days. Number one, the day they get saved. And number two, the day they figure out why they got saved. Why'd you get saved? So you could be salt. Why did God save you? Because God said, boy, there's a lot of darkness down there. I need some more lights to be shining. Why are you salt? God said, boy, the world is rotten. And I need somebody to go down there and that'll be down there to maybe slow down the process of that decay. And so God turned us. God made us into salt and light. But our whole purpose is that men and women may glorify the Father which is in heaven. I want you to listen to this and I'm through, but the real mark of any child of God is that a child of God makes it easier for someone else to believe in and believe on Jesus. Can I ask you something? Are you making it easy for people to believe on Jesus? Or do people look at your life and say, man, if they're saved, I'm saved. If they're saved, everybody's okay. Or do they look at your life and say this, man, I know one thing. There is a difference in their life. Those people are real and genuine. Hey, why don't we share the truth with a dying world? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.